Chapter 24 Seven Years of Judgment Over North America Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Isaiah 13, 9 The heavens and all things were created to bear witness of the Lord. His creations were foreordained to be types and shadows for us to study and from which to gain wisdom. Section Celestial Calendar From the foundation of the world, the celestial bodies were created for us as a calendar from God. In Moses 2:14, we read, And I, God, said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. God gave us the sun to govern our time in days and years and the moon for our weeks and months. Long before implementation of the Gregorian calendar, people would watch and wait during the darkness of the new moon. As soon as the first sliver of light could be seen, the shofar trumpet would be blown. This marked the first day of the month. It was viewed as the Sabbath, which is a day of sanctification. Then they would count six work days. That seventh day afterwards was again a Sabbath day, which was a commemoration or a day to remember the creation. This pattern continues throughout the month until the moon wanes. Once the moon comes into sight again, the shofar is blown, signifying the next month's first Sabbath. It is interesting to note that the first Sabbath of our month, Fast Sunday, is still considered a day of sanctification. We make it holier than the other Sabbath days because fasting increases our humility and connection to God through clear reception of the Holy Ghost. With this in mind, we still honor and celebrate the Sabbath day as a delight, but we have strayed from God's original purpose of giving it to us. While some Jewish people still use his ancient system, we operate our reckoning of time based on the Gregorian calendar. Yet the main function of the sun, moon, and stars is to be our calendar and to testify of our Creator. Mormon 9.9 reminds us, For do we not read that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and in Him there is no variableness, neither shadow of changing? Although our reckoning changed, God's remained. He continues to speak to us, even pouring down knowledge through the symbols He created. All we need to do to hear from Him is to read His heavenly messages. As we gain a greater understanding and appreciation for his celestial creations, we can interpret his communications with more clarity and wisdom. The footnotes of this section are quite lengthy, therefore I will read them because they are more than just a citation. The Hebrew word for seasons is moedim, which means appointed or set time, not the weather-related seasons we refer to. The new moon is related to the parable of the ten virgins. In Matthew 25, 1-13, the women are all in darkness waiting for the light to appear. They are watching and waiting for the light. Bridegroom, light of the world, to return. Every day during the month of Elul, the shofar is blown, except on the 30th day, which is the day before Rosh Hashanah. This is the hidden day, or Yom Hakesa. Kesa comes from the Hebrew word kake, 
which means to hide, conceal, or cover. It is said that the trumpets are blown to tell the people to repent because the day of judgment and atonement is coming. The hidden day was meant to be hidden from Satan. Rosh Hashanah, which marks the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, is the only one of the feast days to begin on a new moon. When the Savior speaks in Matthew 24:36 and says, No man knoweth the day or hour, this is actually an idiom for the hidden day. Also see the chapter, The Hidden Day. The creation story speaks of the first day, second day, third day, etc. The seventh day is a day of rest. We call it the Sabbath. It was never meant to be on a particular day of the week, but was always the seventh day. This seventh day has significance as the day of completion. Always in the Bible, and in the Book of Mormon as well, you see calendar language as the first day of the seventh month, or the ninth day of the third month. When early Christianity was adopted as the national religion in the fourth century under the reign of Constantine, he tried to merge Christian ideals with what the Romans already practiced. Sunday was named after their sun god, Monday after their moon god, Saturday after Saturn. Month names follow the same pattern. They are all named after another god. January, for example, is named after Janus, the Roman god of beginnings and endings. Interestingly, the first of the year had previously been celebrated in the springtime around the vernal equinox. There is significance to this time of year, you'll find as you read on, that each year of tribulations begin in the spring. Recognizing them as named after another god could be seen as a form of idolatry. Scholars have taken that specific framework and gone back in time and determined that Jesus died on a Friday, according to our new calendar that his body was taken down before the Sabbath, which was on a Saturday, and resurrected on that Sunday. Some religions still follow the tradition that the Sabbath is on Saturday. Other religions, like the LDS, have adopted the tradition that the resurrection day became the new Sabbath. The problem is that anciently each month was reckoned from new moon to new moon. The moon cycle is 28 to 29 days. Our calendars now have mostly 30 to 31 days. So the first, second, third, and so forth days of each month will fall on different days each week. Thus, the first day will not always fall on a Monday, and the seventh day will not always fall on a Sunday. Many Jewish people still use God's original calendar and go by the phases of the moon. New section, the Lord's Law of the Land. The Israelites were given a land for their inheritance, and it was made clear that they were to work the land for six years, then allow it to rest every seventh year, as it is stated in Leviticus 25, 2-4. Verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Verse 3, Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. Verse 4, But in the seventh year shall be the Sabbath of rest unto the Lord, a Sabbath for the Lord. Like the land, the people were allowed to rest. They were instructed to release all debt. In Deuteronomy 15, 1-2, we read that, verse 1, At the end of every seven years thou shalt make a release. 2, And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. 
He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. The monetary pardon was the Lord's way of keeping the poor from perpetual economic bondage. It leveled the financial playing field for all of God's children and taught the Israelites how to care for one another. Believe it or not, this pattern of sabbatical years continues today. We call it the Shemitah, or year of release. The Shemitah year begins on Rosh Hashanah every seventh year. Rosh Hashanah is generally in September, but varies because it is determined by the moon cycles. At this point, I understand if you are wondering why any of these Jewish customs matter to you, would it surprise you to learn that America is a chosen land and that there are covenants in place between the Lord and the people living within her borders? Keep in mind that a covenant is a two-way promise between the Lord and his people. Soak in these beautiful promises found in 2 Nephi 1.7. Oops, uh, actually 2 Nephi 1.17. And there's a typo, so I'm not even exactly sure if it is 2 Nephi 1. Anyways, verse 17. Wherefore, this land is consecrated unto him whom he shall bring. And if it so be that they shall serve him according to the commandments which he hath given, it shall be a land of liberty unto them. Wherefore, they shall never be brought down into captivity. If so, it shall be because of iniquity. For if iniquity shall abound, curse shall be the land for their sakes, but unto the righteous it shall be blessed forever. The book of Ether likewise tells of another group of North American inhabitants. Chapter 2, verse 12, reiterates the Lord's protection over this land and people. Verse 12, Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nations shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which we have written. The previous verses give us a deeper look at his intentions for us and the consequences we can expect for living contrary to those intentions. As we read three ver- the three verses just prior to the one mentioned above of Ether 2, verse 9, and now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever, whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off, when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. Verse 10, For behold, this is a land which is choice above all of the other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God, or shall be swept off. For it is the everlasting decree of God, and it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. Verse 11, And this cometh unto you, O Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. We have not yet been swept off the land, which must mean we have not yet completely ripened in iniquity. I implore you to internalize the above promises, repent, and serve God before the natural man. By doing so, you can preserve yourself before this country becomes fully ripened in its iniquity and his wrath is brought down upon it. The current seven-year cycle. Oh, new section. Actually, I would like to read uh, the footnotes from this section that we just finished. Quote, one of the things the Spirit has repeatedly impressed upon my mind is how willing the Lord is to reveal his mind and will. 
The privilege of receiving revelation is one of the greatest gifts of God to his children. Russell M. Nelson, April 2018 General Conference. Revelation for the church, revelation for our lives. And another footnote, remember D&C 8210. I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say. But when you do not what I say, you have no promise. Now, new section, the current seven-year cycle. Let's look back into America's history to get an idea of what results come during the Shemitah, or Sabbath year. Please note that the chart on the following page is not all-inclusive. These are merely highlights of some major events that occurred during Shemitah years from the beginning of the 20th century to the current day. The Shemitah year, 1901 to 1902, 46% U.S. stock market value wiped out. Shemitah year 1916 to 1917, 40% U.S. stock market valued wiped out. German, Austro-Hungarian, Russian, and Ottoman empires collapse. Britain, the world's greatest empire, almost bankrupt. America's rise to world power begins. 1930 to 1931, 86% U.S. stock market value wiped out in the worst financial crisis in modern history. 1937 to 1938, 50% U.S. stock market valued wiped out. Global recession. 1944 to 1945, end of German Reich, end of Britain's hold on territories, establishment of America as the world's superpower, government spending at 55% of gross domestic product, while the nation's citizens struggled, war rationing, shortages, poor product quality, and companies dealt with economic controls which required priority of war-related efforts and disrupted filling of commercial orders. 1965 to 1966, 23% U.S. stock market valued wiped out. 1972 to 1973, 48% U.S. stock market wiped out, value wiped out. Global recession, U.S. lost its first, the Vietnam War. U.S. voted to kill unborn children. Abortion was legalized. 1979 to 1980, U.S. and global recession. 1986 to 87, 33% U.S. stock market value wiped out. 1993 to 1994, bond market crash. 2000 to 2001, 37% U.S. stock market value wiped out. Global recession, 9-11. 2007 to 2008, 50% U.S. stock market value wiped out global recession. Before we discuss the chart's significance further, consider a parenting example for a moment. In our families, it is common for adults to do the sharing for the children until they learn the habit. Sharing does not come naturally to most siblings, and even when mom or dad steps in, it can be very disappointing and feel unfair for the one keeping extra treats or toys to themselves. The parents want all of their offspring to enjoy the good things life has for them, now and into the future. They recognize that if sharing isn't taught at a young age, life experience can be a much harsher, much less forgiving teacher later. What if each slip of the economy was Heavenly Father's way to teach sharing and to give everyone a fair chance? Could the Lord use the Shemitah or year of release as a way to liberate some of his children from perpetual financial bondage to others? We do know he is merciful. He sees things eternally and wants each one of us to be blessed now and later. 
While we feel that an economic depression is a trial, very disappointing and unfair, the Lord might see it as a great benefit because of the spiritual growth that that has a chance to occur. Perhaps knowing we have lost the understanding it takes to obey the commandment of the Shemitah of the Sabbath year, he gives the affluent repeated opportunities to take note of his divine pattern and choose to establish it themselves. As is easily taken in from a glance at the Shemitah chart, we have experienced a financial reset according to a seven-year pattern. The commandment in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy hasn't been rescinded. Therefore, it still needs to be fulfilled. In fact, many watchers were expecting the same repetition of loss and difficulty to happen in 2014 and 15. So why didn't? Why didn't it? Let's go back to the time of Jeremiah, when the Jews were carried away into captivity. They were under Babylonian rule for 70 years to make up for the time they should have given the earth rest, but instead failed to observe the Shemitah. Keeping it is the people's sign to God that they are penitent, and that on the whole they desire to serve him and keep his commandments. From the biblical record, we can tell that when the Shemitah is ignored, the blessing and protection they could have received is removed. When the majority of the church is not keeping his commandments, nor is choosing to be penitent, the release does not come. At that point, the people must pay the consequences for their disobedient actions or their righteous inaction. Some may not believe God works with us this way, seeing that we have been ignorant of some of his uh, being ignorant of some of his laws. It is true that the Lord is merciful to the utmost degree when there is a lack of knowledge. He does, however, have to draw the line when his children blatantly disobey him and disregard the messages he has sent them through his prophets. Could it be that iniquitous Americans have reached a critical mass and have openly rebelled against God's commandments? So he did not release us that year. A new section, a covenant and a token. As a people living in a covenant land, we have been extremely favored. We have experienced freedoms and prosperity that arguably have been out of reach for all other nations, general citizenry. With America's foundation centered on the creator and an eye turned and an eye towards eventually offering rights to all her people, we have enjoyed heaven's grace and blessings, as we are told in 2 Nephi 1.10. But behold, when the time cometh that they shall dwindle in unbelief, after they have received so great blessings from the hand of the Lord, behold, I say, if the day shall come that they will reject the Holy One of Israel, the true Messiah, their Redeemer and their God, behold, the judgments of him that is just shall rest upon them. Those who have had greater light and knowledge bestowed upon them are expected to honor and obey it. Remember the scripture, where much is given, much is required. Luke 12:48. This was certainly true of Noah. Because of his fervent and righteous discipleship, the Lord saw fit to save only his family, a mere group of eight humble people, when he destroyed the wicked of this world with 40 days and nights of rain that flooded the earth. That was the earth's baptism of water. After the wicked had been destroyed, the Lord made a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth like that again. In making this covenant with Noah, the Lord renewed a creation that only Enoch had seen at that point. Initially, it was created to honor the covenant between God and Enoch, but it from Noah's time forward, it would remain a token to all who would see it. That covenantal sign was the rainbow. 
Something truly remarkable about this sign, however, is that for one year prior to the second coming of Christ, there shall be no rainbow seen. Take note that here is yet another of God's creations, meant to remind us of covenants and to testify of him. If only we will open our eyes and raise them heavenward. New section, Turning Our Backs on God. In the temple, we learn of the sacred nature of God's tokens. The temple covenant involves preserving life as well as multiplying within divinely sanctioned marriages. In January 1973, the Supreme Court reached a decision that has had lasting implications on our society's ability to preserve life. They voted in favor of women sacrificing their unborn children to the God of this world under the name of abortion, previously known as feticide, a more fitting label. Many American people rejoiced at the judicially endowed right to eliminate God-given life. We can assume that this was largely so the natural consequences of immoral actions could be avoided. Each day, 3,786 babies are killed by abortion. That's 157 senseless deaths every hour. No, we have not held up our end of the covenant to preserve life. Instead, people have turned against God's offering of light and knowledge and continue to hold protests to claim the privilege to slaughter the unborn who are his heritage. On June 26, 2015, within the Shemitah year in question, you'll recall, the Supreme Court voted to legalize same-sex marriage throughout the United States. Quote, tonight the White House was lit to demonstrate our unwavering commitment to progress and equality here in America and around the world. The pride colors reflect the diversity of the LGBT community, and tonight these colors celebrate a new chapter in the history of American civil rights, unquote, a White House statement said. Overwhelmingly, Americans rejoiced when the court ruled contrary to God's divinely appointed marriages. They either didn't realize or didn't care that they were making an absolute mockery of God's sacred token in celebration of unions that negate his very plan of salvation. Same-sex unions cannot produce offspring, so they make God's commandment to multiply and replenish the earth impossible. Americans collectively turned their backs on God that day. With his covenant children standing in open rebellion, he had no choice but to withdraw his blessings and protection. Quote, for God will not be mocked, unquote. The footnotes to this one, this section Meanwhile, the Lord's command to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it has never been rescinded. Now let me ask you a question. Is the world truly overpopulated? Consider the facts. The latest data indicate that the world's population is 6.8 billion people. If every one of those 6.8 billion people were allocated one quarter of an acre, for example, under that formula, a family with a father and a mother with two children would be given one acre. I repeat, if a quarter of an acre were allocated to each man, woman, and child now living on the earth today, they would all fit in the country of Brazil, with 20% of Brazil still left unoccupied. So the real question is, do we have faith in the word of the Lord? He said, quote, for the earth is full and there is enough and to spare, unquote, DNC 104, verse 17. God's work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And he's provided this earthly opportunity for us to prepare for that glorious goal. 
Unquote. Russell M. Nelson, Brigham Young University, Idaho. Devotional, January 26, 2010. Education. A religious responsibility. New section, the consequence. No, the Shemitah did not come that same year. Instead, the Lord may have begun his final pruning of the vineyard prior to its destruction. In 1995, the family, a proclamation to the world, was published. Within it, the prophet Gordon B. Hinckley announced to the world in a joint statement from the First Presidency, quote, We warn that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets, unquote. Many people criticized church leadership for coming out with this document. Some expressed discontent with the way such obvious concepts were presented. Of course, marriage is between a man and a woman. How disheartening that only 20 years after this warning, we're seeing a society approved family disintegration. It is no wonder that we are literally witnessing the foretold calamities. As a wise parent would say, Quote, we may choose our actions, but we cannot choose the consequences, unquote. Truly, we as a society will reap what we have sown. Each civilization that has lived upon the American continent was given the land by God with the condition that they serve him or be cut off. The Jaredites and the Nephites were both led to the Americas by the hand of God and given the promise that if they served him, they would prosper. Each civilization was eventually wiped out because they fell away from the revelations they were given and refused to repent. Our modern-day pilgrim heritage was also led to America with the same promise. We, too, are about to be obliterated because of our hard hearts and unwillingness to obey God. Quote, Zion is not going to be moved out of her place, President Wilford Woodruff taught, so we know that the Lord will preserve a righteous group here. However, he continued to say, Quote, the Lord will plead with her strong ones, and if she sins, he will chastise her until she is purified before the Lord. Unquote. New section, Sign of Judgment. You'll recall that the sun, moon, and stars are parts of a calendar for us from the Lord. In addition, the ways in which the Lord arranges these heavenly bodies are signs to us. The precise sizes of the sun and moon allow each of them to cast a shadow on the other when either of them passes between the other and the earth. When the earth passes between the sun and moon, the earth's shadow is cast upon the moon. This is called a lunar eclipse. A solar eclipse happens when the moon passes between the sun and the earth. The moon can completely or partially block the light of the sun from reaching us. The area in which the earth is under the total shadow of the moon is called the umbra. The wider spread area where a partial shadow is cast is the penumbra. Both types of eclipses are understood to be warning signs from God. Solar eclipses are viewed by many ancient and modern cultures to be an omen of judgment. On August 21, 2017, the United States witnessed a transcontinental solar eclipse. Mark Blitz, a pastor, had this to say about it, quote, From a biblical point of view, a solar eclipse is meant to be a sign from God. Solar eclipses become biblically and prophetically significant and relevant when man understands their timing according to the biblical calendar and where they happen. Then we look for the patterns. When there is a total solar eclipse, it is a warning to a specific nation or nations depending on its path. Could God be giving us a warning that we need to repent or judgment will be coming to the United States? The timing couldn't be clearer, unquote. 
With understandable enthusiasm, Scott Clark, pastor and professor, pointed out, quote, you've got this epic solar eclipse over America, and it's happening right at Regulus and Leo, the lion, the constellation. There are 12 constellations. It could happen every, anywhere, but it's happening in the constellation of the king, meaning the return of the king, unquote. The path of the eclipse generated excitement and received a lot of media attention, although perhaps not the kind of attention it should have gotten. Remember, it is a warning to the nation over which it passes. Within the path of the totality, the sun's light is completely blocked by the moon for a few moments and gives no light to the earth. One can see the sun's light as a halo behind the moon, but the sun does not give its light to the earth during this time. Millions of people across the country traveled to areas where they could experience this unique event. Entering the U.S. on the Oregon coast and exiting in South Carolina, the totality path went right over Independence, Missouri, and Adam on Diamond, as well as other areas of note. The significance of the date, August 21, 2017, must also be mentioned. The very next day, August 22nd, was the first day of the Hebrew month of Elul, known as the Month of Repentance. Each day of Elul, except the last, is marked by the surrounding, or by the sounding of the shofar as a cry of repentance to the people. I find it fascinating that immediately following the eclipse, even if most people didn't realize it, we actually received a call to repentance. The eclipse served as a wake-up call. New section, time to prepare for the coming of the Lord. The Lord will have to follow through with his promise to destroy the wicked from off the face of the earth. So, we do not want to procrastinate the day of our personal repentance. Allow Elder Bruce R. McConkie's shocking words to motivate you now to turn again to the Lord. Quote, Be it remembered that tribulations lie ahead. There will be wars in one nation and kingdom after another until war is poured out upon all nations. And 200 million men of war mass their armaments at Armageddon. Peace has been taken from the earth. The angels of destruction have begun their work, and their swords shall not be sheathed until the Prince of Peace comes to destroy the wicked and usher in the great millennium. There will be earthquakes and floods and famines. The waves of the sea shall heave themselves beyond their bounds. The clouds shall withhold their rain, and the crops of the earth shall wither and die. There will be plagues and pestilence and disease and death. An overflowing scourge shall cover the earth, and a desolating sickness shall sweep the land. Flies shall take hold of the inhabitants of the earth, and maggots shall come in upon them. Their flesh shall fall off. Their flesh shall fall from off their bones, and their eyes from their sockets. Bands of Gadianton robbers will infest every nation. Immorality and murder and crime will increase, and it will seem as though every man's hand is against his brother. Unquote. President Brigham Young also let us know our actions matter when he said, quote, If the Latter-day Saints do not desist from running after the things of this world and begin to reform and do the work the Father has given them to do, they will be found wanting, and they too will be swept away and counted as unprofitable servants, unquote. President Joseph Fielding Smith added this, his warning voice for our benefit as well with his words, quote, All of these things will be withheld while the nations are being punished. If the members of the church will keep faithfully their commandments, if they will not, then we have received the warning that we, like the rest of the world, shall suffer his wrath in justice, unquote. I couldn't say what to expect individually any better than President Wilford Woodruff did. 
Quote, I do not pretend to tell how much sorrow you and I are going to meet with before the coming of the Son of Man. That will depend upon our conduct, unquote. We can, however, piece together many clues from scriptures as well as from those currently receiving divine information on what's ahead, as we read in Doctrine and Covenants 97, 22-24. 22-For behold and lo, vengeance cometh speedily upon the ungodly as the whirlwind, and who shall escape it? 23-The Lord's scourge shall pass over by night and by day, and the report thereof shall vex all people. Yea, it shall not be stayed until the Lord come. Verse 24, for the indignation of the Lord is kindled against their abominations and all their wicked works. Just hearing about the cleansing trials will bring distress, yet we have reason to hope. In fact, the destruction that is foretold to come upon the wicked will be greater than has ever been known, which we are told in Doctrine and Covenants 38, 11, and 12. Verse 11, for all flesh is corrupted before me, and the powers of darkness prevail upon the earth among the children of men in the presence of all the hosts of heaven. Verse 12, which causes, causeth silence to reign, and all eternity is pained, and the angels are waiting the great command to reap down the earth, to gather the tares that they may be burned, and behold, the enemy is combined. The persecution that will come, be coming to the faithful members of God's church will be exponentially greater than anything they have previously suffered for his name's sake. But if we remain faithful, the Lord has promised us that he will protect us when the wicked are destroyed. As it says in Doctrine and Covenants 9:27, sorry, Doctrine and Covenants uh, 97, 25 to 26. Verse 25, Zion shall escape if she shall observe to do all things whatsoever I have commanded her. Verse 26, but if she observes not to do whatsoever I have commanded her, I will visit her according to all her works. With a sore affliction, with pestilence, with plague, with sword, and with vengeance, with devouring fire. The footnote here says, an army of elders will be sent to the four quarters of the earth to search out the righteous and warn the wicked of what is coming. All kinds of religions will be started and miracles performed that will deceive the very elect, if that were possible. Our sons and daughters must live pure lives so as to be prepared for what is coming. After a while, the Gentiles will gather by the thousands to this place, and Salt Lake City will be classed among the wicked cities of the world. A spirit of speculation and extravagance will take possession of the saints, and the results will be financial bondage. Persecution comes next, and all true Latter-day Saints will be tested to the limit. Many will apostatize, and and others will be still not knowing what to do. Darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the minds of the people. The judgments of God will be poured out on the wicked to the extent that our elders from far and near will be called home, or in other words, the gospel will will be taken from the Gentiles and later on carried to the Jews. The western boundary of the state of Missouri will be swept so clean of its inhabitants that as President Young tells us, when you return to that place, there will not be left so much as a yellow dog to whack his tail. Before that day comes, however, the saints will be put to a test that will try the integrity of the best of them. The pressure will become so great that the more righteous among them will be 
among them will cry unto the Lord day and night until deliverance comes, unquote. Heber C. Kimball, First Counselor in the First Presidency. May 1868 in Deseret News, the 23rd of May, 1931. See also Conference Report, October 1930, pages 58 and 59. Quote, though we have rightly applauded our ancestors for their spiritual achievements and do not and must not discount them now, those of us who prevail today will have done so, no, will have done no small thing. The special spirits who have been reserved to live in this time of challenges and who overcome will one day be praised for their stamina by those who pulled handcarts, unquote, Neil A. Maxwell. New section. Why harrow up, harrow up my soul with such an awful scenes? The cleansing must come before we can experience a more enlightened state here on the earth. Zion must be purified to meet her bridegroom. So we can expect that cleansing to take place first among believers. Like it says in Doctrine and Covenants 1.12.25, And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. The scriptures are layered with deep truths. Many different concepts can be taught in just one verse. The beauty of personal revelation is that any number of readers may interpret the same scripture differently as the Spirit custom tailors what the Lord would have us know individually. When I read, Upon my house shall it begin, I think of a starting point. While God is not linear like we as a whole are, and His course is one eternal round, He does sometimes speak in language we can understand. I believe He is referring, or He is referencing a specific moment in time for us in this verse, a distinct juncture, clearly, Distinguishable in hindsight. On August 25th, just four days after the 2017 eclipse, Hurricane Harvey hit the Texas coastline. Record-breaking and devastating flooding affected the greater Houston area. By August 28th, it had begun. Floodwaters raced through the LDS Houston or the LDS distribution center and eventually reached and seeped into his literal earthly home the Houston, Texas Temple. From this point on, disasters have and will continue to escalate and intensify until all the words of the Lord are fulfilled. He will cleanse his church and this nation until, quote, there will not be left so much as a yellow dog to wag his tail, unquote. Much more than can be addressed in this book has already happened since the first eclipse. Of course, there are multiple ways to view the saying, Upon my house it shall begin. We have covered the literal meaning with the temple flooding. We can also understand the phrase in terms of his people in his covenant land. Both the saints who gathered in and settled areas of the West specifically, but also the wider picture of citizens all over North America who choose to follow him. There are many other Christian denominations with members receiving spiritual gifts, including those of daytime visions and nighttime dreams. One brother was shown eight years beforehand the destruction that would come to Houston and was told that when he saw its fulfillment, he would know it had begun. The New Testament offers reiteration on where, as well as chilling thought in 1 Peter 4:17 and 18. 
Verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Or if it is begun, or if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Verse 18, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? The Lord chastens those he loves. The tribulations that are here and yet to spring, oops, and yet to come are judgments for sure, but they are opportunities as well. They offer us a chance to prove to the Lord that we will serve him at all costs. Those of us who cleanse, oh, those of us who choose to do so will witness and take part in the grandest miracles that the world has ever known. In order to prepare ourselves so we can participate in the miracles ahead, President Nelson admonished us to receive our own revelation. He said, quote, But in coming days it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Unquote. This will be more and more critical as time goes on. Natural disasters often lead to communications being disrupted, then not restored for months or even years. When that happens in your community, there will be no way for the leaders of the church to continue providing immediate direction. The only way we will be able to survive is if we learn to hear the voice of the Lord and allow him to guide and direct us. We must learn now to receive and act on personal revelation. It is no wonder that such a great deal of time during the last general conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was devoted to personal revelation. If we follow the prophet's counsel to accept the Holy Ghost, constant influence, uh, let's see, Doctrine and Covenants 45-57 gives us this promise. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. We already know that God and Jesus Christ will win this final battle. The choice is left to us to decide which side we will stick with. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland declared, The final outcome between good and evil is already known. There is absolutely no question as to who wins because the victory has already been posted on the scoreboard. The only really strange thing in all of this is that we are still down here on the field trying to decide which team's jersey we want to wear. New section, his hand is stretched out still. Now remember as a nation, our fate has been sealed as a result of 2015 court same-sex marriage decision. However, in 2 Nephi 19.12, we are told of the Savior. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. In other words, he continues to give each of us the individual opportunity to repent and to turn to him with full purpose of heart. The Lord promised he would not destroy Sodom if there were as few as ten righteous souls to be found there. Alas, the Lord's final destruction of his vineyard cannot fully come to fruition until the angel of the Lord has sealed his earthly servants in their foreheads. While the angels have already begun this work, it is not complete. 
there is still time to repent. The Lord is calling to us. He is using signs and natural disasters to get our attention because, by and large, we are complacent and asleep to things of eternal importance. The earth must be cleansed in preparation for his millennial reign. He will lead his righteous to places of safety where they can see his miracles and enjoy his protection from much of the calamities, just as he did in Moses' day. New section, another eclipse, another sign. The eclipse in 2017 occurred at a significant time of year, and the eclipse of April 8, 2024 will will be no different. The Jewish month, Nisan, means deliverance or redemption begins just after America is to be veiled in darkness once again. Nisan is the month of Passover, which is the annual commencement of God's miracle, miraculous deliverance of ancient Israel from plagues and bondage. What do these facts tell you about timing? When might we expect? What might we expect in 2024? The path of totality of the 2024 eclipse will go right over Kirtland, Ohio, Palmyra, New York, where the and Palmyra, New York, where the Hill Cumorah is located. Each of these locations has significance to the members of the church as special places in its history and restoration. If both eclipses pass of totality were to be depicted at this on the same map, we would find that they cross. The point of intersection marks the Trail of Tears State Forest, a monument to the thousands of Native Americans, primarily Cherokee Indians, who were forced to relocate in the winter of 1838-1839 because of the Indian Relocation Act of 1830. The Native Americans are modern descendants of the ancient Lamanites who came from Jerusalem when Jeremiah was a prophet. The Lamanites play a major role in both the purpose and the narrative of the Book of Mormon. The title page declares, Wherefore, it is an abridgment of the record of the people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites, written to the Lamanites who are a remnant of the house of Israel, unquote. One of the keepers of the record wrote of his concern for them in Enos 1.11 and 16, which his father shared. Verse 11, And after I, Enos, had heard these words, my soul began to be unshaken in the Lord. And I prayed unto him with many long strugglings for my brethren, the Lamanites. Verse 16, And I had faith, and I did cry unto God that he would preserve the records. And he covenanted with me that he would bring them forth unto the Lamanites in their own due time. Wilford Woodruff was alive at the time of the Trail of Tears. He was acutely aware of the horrendous treatment they received, as well as the incredible promises awaiting them, and said, quote, the Lamanites will blossom as a rose on the mountain. I am willing to say that. To say here that, though I believe this, when I see the power of the nation destroying them from the face of the earth, the fulfillment of that prophecy is perhaps harder for me to hear to believe than any other revelation of God that I ever read. 
it looks as though there would not be enough left to receive the gospel, but notwithstanding this dark picture, every word that God has ever said of them will have its fulfillment, and they, by and by, will receive the gospel, unquote. Being a branch of the house of Israel, they have a divine destiny. The Lamanite people are part of the remnant that will build, help build new Jerusalem. Time will tell. But the fact that the eclipse paths cross to be seems to be highlighting their history and all, alerting us to a new chapter wherein God intends to fulfill his covenants with all his people. The title page of the Book of Mormon identifies the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the Gentiles spoken of in much of Scripture. When the Scriptures speak of the time when the Gen- of the Gentiles, they are referring to the time period during which the Lord would offer them His covenant. The time of the Gentiles is nearing its close. As Doctrine and Covenants 45 28 tells us the Gentiles will be, for the most part, reject the gospel. Verse 28, and when the times of the Gentiles has come in a light, when the times of the Gentiles has come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. Presidents Joseph Fielding Smith, written about these verses said, quote, The meaning is that when the time had come for the restoration of the gospel in the times of the Gentiles, that it would not be perceived because the hearts of the people are moved away by the precepts of men. However, go. However, in that generation, this should happen. The times of the Gentiles should be fulfilled, unquote. The fulfilling or closing out of the times of the Gentiles is one of the great signs given by the Savior to answer to the question of the disciples. Quote, what is the sign of the coming? Unquote. DNC 4531 shows its great importance, its great significance. There shall be men standing in that generation in which the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge for a desolating sickness cover the land. New section, additional signs. There is another X that crosses America. The following illustration shows nearly 2,200 mile long crack, 70 to 90 miles wide, from the northwest to the southeast. It is comprised of several fault regions, including the Olympic Wallowa liniment in western Washington. The mega shear zone through Idaho, the Yellowstone region, and toward the southern Appalachian Mountains. This ancient series of fault lines found by modern day gravity mapping satellite data intersect with another series of fault lines that run from the northeast towards Texas. Immediately at their injection immediately at their junction in the New Madrid, New Madrid seismic zone. In fact, each series of fault lines have intersecting rifts in the Mississippi River Valley. 
If and when this newly discovered but ancient fault line shifts and coincides with the new Madrid fault zone, the results will truly be catastrophic. An earthquake of the right magnitude could cause extreme flooding in that zone. The author believes it is no coincidence that these two separate fault lines intersect each other in virtually an identical pattern as the 2017 and 2014 eclipses. In 1812, there was an 8.8 magnitude earthquake in the New Madrid seismic zone. It was so strong it caused the Mississippi River to run backwards. This incredible phenomenon is a preview of what is to come. New section, the future of the Lord. Imagine the tumult necessary for a fundamental of Isaiah's words in the fourth verse of chapter 40. Verse 4, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. Doctrine and Covenants 49.23 adds more detail as well as instruction. Wherefore, be not deceived, but continue in steadfastness, steadfastness, looking forth for the heavens to be shaken and the earth to tremble and to reel to and fro as a drunken man and for the valleys to be exalted and for the mountains to be made low and for the rough places to become smooth and all this when the angel shall sound his trump. Here is another description of the earth changes we will see as mentioned in, in Doctrine and Covenants 13321 21-24. Verse 21, And he shall utter his voice out of Zion, and he shall speak from Jerusalem, and his voice shall be heard among all people. 22, And it shall be a voice as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, which shall break down the mountains, and the valleys shall not be found. 23, He shall command the great deep, and it shall be driven back into the north countries, and the islands become one land. 24, And the land of Jerusalem and the land of Zion shall be turned back into their own place and the earth shall be like as it was in the days before it was divided. Did you know that the 2004 Thailand earthquake and resulting tsunami were powerful enough to wobble the earth's axis? Even more amazing, the April 2011 Japan earthquake was so strong that it literally knocked the earth off its axis. The foretold events are truly already in the works. The Lord knows exactly what he is doing. The time clock of the heavens was established before the earth was created. We have been given more forewarning of what is to come than any other people in the history of the earth. We would be wise to study these things and learn the truth for ourselves. We have been given these two specific signs, these two total eclipses for a specific purpose. They are meant to warn us. It is my prayer that we will ponder their meaning in our lives and that we may be prepared and know what the Lord would have us do. Doctrine and Covenants 106, 4 through 5 echoes my prayer. And again, verily I say unto you, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and it overtaketh the world as a thief in the night. Verse 5, therefore gird up your loins, that you may be the children of light, and that day shall not overtake you as a thief. It is interesting to note in the um, picture of how the eclipse would look, how the sun is behind the moon and the moon casts its shadow on the earth. Um, In that picture, it says the total solar eclipse, Monday, August 21st, 2017. This will be the first total solar eclipse visible in the continental United States in 38 years.